What's up guys, Pastor John here. We pray that this message encourages you in your faith journey and we believe that God has an incredible plan for your life and our hope is that tools like this sermon will help you become who he has created you to be. Now listen, in order to truly flourish and thrive like God intends for your life, it takes community. What I mean by that is we don't believe that simply by attending church online alone that you're going to be able to become every bit of who God has created you to be and who you want to be to grow spiritually. You need other people. And we would love to help you connect with other people right here at Greenhouse. True growth happens when we're rooted in a community that supports, uplifts, and walks alongside us. And so with that in mind, we would love for you to join us in person on Sundays right here at Western High School or in microchurches throughout the week. Um, listen, if you don't live near our church here in South Florida, please reach out to us. We would love to help you find and thrive in a local faith community near you. We're excited to partner with you as we all become passionate followers of Jesus. God bless you. It's very strange hearing your own voice. That kind of freaked me out a little bit. This is one of my favorite Sunday. Olivia, it's good to see you. Man, we missed you, girl. This is, this, sorry, I got distracted. This is one of my favorite Sundays of the year because we get to come together for some of our local and international mission partners who are some of our faith heroes doing incredible stuff in South Florida, all over the globe. And we get to come together like, like a spiritual version of Santa meets Hanukkah Harry, if you're from a Jewish background like myself, and raise funds to give away to help meet some of their year-end goals that they've got in terms of some dream projects and so y'all are about to make some of our missions partners very, very happy. And it's gonna be a very, very good day. Stand with me to your feet. We're gonna be in 2 Corinthians chapter nine. 2 Corinthians chapter nine. If you have a Bible, you could flip there. The Miami Dolphins are back from our bye week. And Lord willing, we will vanquish our enemies of the Las Vegas Raiders. They don't even know what city they're from. Are they from Oakland? Are they from Vegas? Where are they from? They just need to lose. That's what needs to happen. God's people, are we ready? All right, all right, that's about half of us. I hope we get more ready as we go. Verse six, this is Paul writing to the church at Corinth in his second letter. I'll explain that in a moment. He says this, remember this. Turn to your neighbor and say, remember this. This is important. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly, this is an agrarian analogy. I know not many of us might be farmers, but this is an agrarian analogy. He's whoever sows sparingly, puts the seed in the ground, will also reap sparingly. Somebody say, duh. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now he's speaking of generosity. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, meaning feeling forced or pressured, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Verse 14, and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God. 
Amen? It's Thanksgiving time. Let's give thanks where thanks is due. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Join me as we pray. God, we thank you. Every good and perfect gift comes from you. And the thought of generosity welling up in our hearts and overflowing that could prompt worship and gratitude is pretty amazing. Speak to our hearts. Help us become who you've created us to be. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, turn to your neighbor, give him a high five. If you're married to him, you can give him a kiss on the lips. If you're not married to him, would not recommend it, especially if you don't know him. Have you ever been blindsided by something financially? Anyone ever been there? Hashtag shrinkflation, right? Stuff is less and it costs more, gas prices. Lots of things blindside us financially, but there was one arena that I was not expecting to be blindsided financially, and it was from my beloved firstborn son, Liam. Many of you have heard stories of the Liamite. He has acquired some sort of fame, at least in my own mind and heart. My wife, Nancy, and I uh, have two little Jew Rican babies. She's from a Puerto Rican background. I am from a Jewish background. Liam is our oldest. He is seven years old. And recently, he had a tooth that would not come out. It was one of those front teeth, and so it's very visible, and it was kind of just hanging there, and eventually the tooth behind it got impatient and started pushing it. And so it was like 90-degree popped out there for what felt like, how long was this, Nancy? Weeks, months, an eternity. It could have been an eternity. It felt like forever. And I remember at one moment, we had just had enough. I think I came home from a trip out of town and, uh, and my wife, Nancy, she's like, babe, the tooth is still, I mean, it's just like, it's sitting there wiggling, like staring us in the face, popping out of his mouth when his mouth is closed. It's still like wanting to greet everybody. She's like, it is freaking me out. The tooth has to go. And I was like, bet, I'm on it. I said, I got an idea. Our son is exceptionally motivated by positive reinforcement. And I said, I got an idea. I'm gonna offer him tomorrow morning when he wakes up, I'm gonna say, son, if you can get that tooth out of your mouth by the end of the day, I'll give you money. She's like, that's a great idea. And I don't know, I, th I said something $5 or $10. I was like, it does not scale. I don't know how many teeth are in the human mouth, but we don't got it like that to do that for every tooth. But this one was egregiously overdue. And I was like, we, we got this. And so- I'm feeling pretty good. I wake up in the morning. It's early. First thing, I see a little snaggle greeting me. And, uh, and I was like, I was like, hey, bud, I got a deal for you. If you can get that tooth, and I think it maybe was $10. If you can get that tooth out by the end of the day, I'm gonna give you $10. Now, I was thinking, you know, this is gonna be a relatively easy process. I was not prepared for what came next. He looked me dead in the eye and he said, no, 15 I was stuck. I'm like, whose kid is this? I'm talking about a hustler. He's like 15. I was like, no. And, and I, listen, I was not ready for this. And so I was not prepared for like a counter offer for my six just turned seven year old. And I'm like, no, 10. He's like 15. And so I just stumbled into an unintended negotiation with my seven year old. I was like 12, 15. 13, 15. He didn't budge for nothing. I was like, fine, 15. And in my mind, I'm like, it has been weeks, if not a month of this tooth. There's no way. Pulls it out in my face. Can I have my money now? 
So I went into Nancy and I was like, babe, great news. <laughs> Got that tooth out. She's like, that's amazing. It's like, it is amazing, right? Just remember how amazing it feels that I accomplished the mission that was before us and what a great dad. Isn't that incredible? She's like, what happened? How much did he? I was like, well, that's the not so great news. We owe him $15. She's like, how? I'm like, I don't know, it was early. He negotiated, he's gonna be a lawyer. When he grows, I don't know. And, I, and, and now we're in trouble. So if you wanna donate at the end of the generosity adventure, we'll have a lash tooth fund now. I'm like, this does not scale. This does not scale. But I remember being very humbled by my uh, lack of preparation for my business wheeling and dealing son. Like, I'm like, clearly I did not have a great plan when it came to teeth and finances. Why am I telling the story? Because I thought it was funny. But also... Because I think often in our lives, when it's teeth and finances, it's one thing, but often we don't know what to do when it comes to faith and finances. Like God and giving and prayers and blessing and saving. Like, how do we do this? And, and, and we experience, if we're being forthcoming, we experience weird stuff on both sides of the financial spectrum. On one side, you have kind of like, like the name it and claim it. Pastor's got a jet. What are we giving towards right now? This is actually even biblical sort of prosperity gospel. And then on the other side, we've got like a, a culture where it's like almost the poorer you are, the more righteous you are. And it's this weird venerable of like suffering, but it's, it's not actually God calling you to it. And, and, and so you've, we've got these two spectrums and there's gotta be something in between where we can understand God's wisdom to us when it comes to faith and finances. Now, thankfully, we have a model, a church that is walking in this in beautiful fashion that we can learn from and get ready for this. It is the church at Corinth. Now, if you've been following along with our Open Heaven series, you have met the church at Corinth. In fact, we have had several awkward conversations together thanks to the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth was the church getting drunk at communion. The church at Corinth was the church where someone was sleeping with his father's wife and they were celebrating him like, we're so great. The church at Corinth was a mess. And yet, apparently, after their first letter, which is what we're going through together in our Open Heaven series, after the first level uh, letter that Paul wrote to them, 1 Corinthians, apparently these followers of Jesus who, who were, I mean, a mess, listened to the letter. In fact, they repented from the letter and they now have things in the second letter Paul's writing to them, they now have things to be commended and celebrated for. One of the foremost being their approach to generosity. If you lost hope for your neighbor, your friend, or yourself. There is hope for you because there's hope for the Corinthians. Can I get an amen? These Corinthians, they're living out generosity. Now in the context, which bears uh, sort of repeating to get an understanding, what has happened is that there is a global famine that has struck the ancient world and it has particularly and acutely affected the followers of Jesus and the church, capital C, church in Jerusalem. 
And so as this was happening, apparently the early church felt responsible to love and care for one another, especially members of the faith that were separated by oceans and countries and continents. Continents, that's how you say that word. It's not a new thing that we're doing here. This is an ancient thing. And so these followers of Jesus in Corinth had heard about the struggles of their brothers and sisters across the sea in Jerusalem. And they stepped up to the plate and said, we got them. And they committed to give this big missions offering. This is what happened to the church in Corinth. Now, Paul's writing, he's like, listen, the the churches in Macedonia and Acacia and other places, they heard of your generosity and it stirred them up to be generous themselves. And he's writing this letter saying, hey, y'all talked a great generosity game. I just wanna make sure y'all are gonna follow through and actually deliver with your wallets the generosity you spoke of in very bogest ways with your mouths. But they're living this out this church in Corinth. And so this morning, I wanna create a brief roadmap of where we're at and where we could be, according to Jesus, using the model of these Corinthian believers. Sound like a plan? All right, so let's dive in. Let's begin and start with where we are at now. Point number one is this. Our world's approach to finances is broken. Everybody say broken. Turn to your neighbor and say, I think it's true. I think it's true, it's broken. If last week highlighted the broken nature of our culture's approach to sex and sexuality, this week is to highlight the broken nature of our culture's approach to finances as well. Let me prove it to you just based off of the data, a little bit of sociology here. In our current modern world, finances is the number two cause of divorce, closely trailing the number one cause of divorce, which is what we talked about last week, adultery, infidelity, and sexual immorality. It is currently the number two cause of divorce in our modern world. Here in the United States of America and in North America, we sit as the wealthiest nation in human history, yet 63% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. That's one point away from the highest that this has ever been as they've been running this study in modern history. Now you might think, well, that's just because we don't have enough income and that's just because uh, of the poverty gap. But the reality when we look at the data is that if you're starting at looking at only six figure incomes, those who have six figure incomes, that number remains right around 50%. So around 50% in our modern world of people that are making six figures and above are still living paycheck to paycheck. Now, if you think that does not compute, how is that impacting us? Well, as you can imagine, not very well. More than 40% of US adults say money is negatively impacting their mental health. There's all sorts of different words to describe this in the various service that I looked at. Uh, The biggest descriptor came back from a whopping 70% of people polled who say when they think about money, the the ways it can make them feel great, make them feel bad, make them feel nervous, the number one descriptor that was used 70% of the time is money leaves me, quote, feeling stressed. I'm sure some of us can relate to this since we are humans in that culture. Other emotions people associate with money include worry, anxiety, feeling overwhelmed, and insecurity. Now, if you're like, well, that's, that's just, you know, that, that's the boomers or that's the, the Gen Xers. In fact, when you look at the data and the research, again, I'm trying to make a case that our current approach to finances is broken and not serving us. When you look at the data and the research of all of the age groups polled, millennials came back with the most financial anxiety. So it's a, it's a bad situation that's only trending worse. Which is why, friends, I would argue that based off of the data and the research, our current financial approach 
and our cultural approach to finances, it's broken. Empirically, when it comes to our mental health, when it comes to our thriving and flourishing, it is leaving us stressed, in debt, anxious, and ultimately eroding and destroying the relationships that we hold most dear as the number two cause of divorce. Which leads me to my hypothesis, what if, let's just say, like in every other area of life, what if God has a different way? What if God, the intelligent designer of humanity who loves us more than anybody else, what if God actually has a path and a way when it comes to life and finances that is constructed for our good and for our flourishing? If he did, would you wanna know what that is? So would I, which leads us to point number two. Point number one, our world's approach to finances is broken. Point number two, God's approach to finances looks broken to this world, but actually helps make us whole. God's approach to finances looks broken in, in accordance with the cultural ethos of finances in our world, but it actually helps make us whole. In the last household, we try to have dinner together most nights. It's a crazy, it's a challenge, it's a difficulty, but our kids are young, and so we've been able to do it. Most evenings, we sit down together, and our kids are young, and so you have to have some sort of like a plan to get them to sit still and eat and engage. And, uh, but we've looked at the data, we've looked at the research, we're like, man, it's, it makes such an impact, parents. Any way you can figure it out, man, figure it out. We're trying to figure it out. So we sit down together and, and we attempt to have some sort of, we got a four-year-old and a seven-year-old. So some sort of semblance of focused, meaningful conversation. One of the things we do is what we have come to call the question game. Now, you are probably familiar with some iteration of the question game. We sit down together, each member of the family comes up with a random question and we ask it around the table. If you could eat any fruit for the next week, what would it be? If you could be any superhero, who would you be? If you could have any, if you could be any sea animal, what would you be like? And you're like, wow, I thought it was some super deep Bible stuff. We have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. We do that too, but we're trying to keep them there eating their vegetables while they are distracted playing the question game. Recently, my son Liam had the question and he said, okay, if you could go anywhere, where would you go and with who? It's a good question. And so we start going around the table doing our question game and, and you know, it was, it was California. My brother lives in California. They want to see Uncle Jesse. It was California. It was Hawaii. That's on Nancy and I's bucket list, Hawaii. And, and Panama went in there. We've been to Panama, the country. It was beautiful. And we come to our littlest Lucy and we're like, all right. And she was last. We're like, Lucy, where would you want to go? And she looks proudly and she says, Starbucks. Now, if you don't speak Lucy, Starbucks is Starbucks. She said, Starbucks. And my son Liam has no chill. He was like, Seriously, Luce? You could go anywhere in the world and you want to go to Starbucks? And, and we kind of laughed. We're like, Oh, bless her sweet little heart. And, and so, but Lucy did not skip a beat. She's like, Yeah, they have cake pops. Like, duh. And I remember kind of thinking about it. Now, it, it stuck with me this week because I remember kind of looking at Lucy and be like, oh, sweet baby girl, bless her little heart. She'll learn. If you could go anywhere, you don't go to Starbucks. Go somewhere awesome. And yet I'm thinking about it this week. I'm like, what, what, what? if Jesus said we need to be more like little kids to find flourishing in life, 
What Lucy is articulating is actually a art form that Paul calls later contentment. She was like, I like store-bucks and they have cake pops. Why not? And I start thinking about little Lucia when I start thinking about this idea of, man, is it, is it possible that often those we see as foolish are simple, are actually wise beyond their years and they've tapped into something profound? And then I read this article. It was an article about Warren Buffett and I'm not sure if you know this, but Warren Buffett has a little bit, a lot of bit of money. And Warren Buffett over the summer gave away $5 billion of his wealth again, again. Here's a quote from the article. Warren Buffett just gave away, this is this past summer, Warren Buffett just gave away nearly $5 billion of his wealth through stock options or something again. That's what it said. He could have been the world's richest man if that's what he actually wanted. Track with me. He could have been the world's richest man if that's what he actually wanted. Now, he did not. In fact, Warren Buffett, the article goes on to say, has pledged to give 99% of his fortune away during or after his life. Warren, if you're listening right now, you are welcome to donate to Greenhouse and we will use it for God's glory in the kingdom. Just had to put that out there. But it got me thinking. Our, our current cultural approach to finances, which by the way, I've made the premise is broken based off of the data, not just some empirical, religious, archaic view based off of the data. But if our current cultural approach to finances is this, get money. What'd you say? Oh, if, if the current cultural approach is, some of y'all got to pass. If the current cultural approach is, I am going to pursue the raise, cause why not? Duh. I am going to pursue the promotion, cause why not? Duh. I am going we are going to go after more money because that's what you do because that's the way to do it. And yet we have a guy who's gotten all the way to the top and is actively going the other direction. Are, are, are you tracking with me? We all sit here thinking we gotta go that way because that's where we're gonna find life. And we're all going that way. And the guy who got and achieved that way is actually turning around going this way. Is it possible that we have been convinced, nay, duped into putting our wall and ladder of success on the wrong wall to climb it only to realize, oops, let me move it over here? Is it possible God knew what he was talking about? Is it possible there's a different way? See, the world has taught us that the key to life and the key to happiness and the key to thriving is found in getting. But Jesus told us that the key to life, the key to happiness, the key to thriving is not found in getting, it's found in what? Listen, in Acts 20, it says this. Paul's writing, he says, uh, sorry, Luke is writing, he says, in everything that I did, Paul speaking, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Check this out remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself. How many of you were like, I am a Jesus follower. I follow Jesus. He's my teacher, he's my rabbi, like three of us. That is making me sad. Okay, more than three of us. Awesome. Good, I'm not wasting my life. Okay, you're like, I, I follow Jesus. Here's what Jesus said. The words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You ever experienced that? It's amazing when you get that holiday gift you were hoping for. 
But have you ever given the one someone else was hoping for? That feeling, it, it's almost like it's, dare I say it, better, better. By the way, this is not the only isolated time that we hear of Jesus's words in this direction when it comes to finances. In the famous Sermon on the Mount, the most popular sermon that was ever preached in the history of humanity, some of the most life-changing words that exist on the planet, Jesus dedicates an entire section to talking about generosity. In Matthew 6, I'll read you some excerpts. He says this, Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin or rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Instead, store up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven, where moth and rust and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, say it with me, there your will be also. Jesus makes a fascinating correlation here. He says, wherever your treasure is, wherever your stuff is, wherever your stuff goes, your heart, or in Hebrew, this idea of the very core, the, the, the center of who you are, will follow in the same direction. Which means your entire life, according to Jesus, who many of us already believe and trust as the savior, the way, the truth, and the life, the one who loves us and always tells the truth, according to Jesus, your entire life gets wrapped up in the way that you think about and use your money. Your entire life, Jesus says. Which means we must choose wisely. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Find your treasure and what do you find? Your heart, your heart, which means this, you cannot choose according to Jesus. And again, maybe you're here investigating God, faith and spirituality. You're like, I don't know if I believe that. That's fine. I would encourage you not to just lay where our culture lies when it comes to finances because that's also not working. Gotta find another path there. But maybe it is Jesus. If you follow Jesus, Jesus says you cannot choose whether your heart will follow your treasure. You cannot choose that. It will. It is an immutable truth like gravity. What goes up must come down. Where your treasure goes there, your heart will go also. You cannot choose whether your heart will follow your treasure. Check this. But you can choose where your treasure goes and lead your heart in that way because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says, therefore, lay up for yourselves, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. You're like, how do I do that? Well, this is where the passage gets good. You do that through generosity. You store up treasure in heaven through generosity. Just in case the audience missed it, Jesus continues in this same diatribe in Matthew 6. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your body will be full of darkness. And if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, this is not a passage about optometry, although thank God for eye doctors. What Jesus, amen, some of you are like, amen. Okay, what Jesus is not saying, he, he, what he's using here is what's called a Hebrew idiom. He's using a phrase of speech. Like we would say, man, this past week, it was raining cats and dogs, right? In the same way, this, this idea of a good eye, it's not that you have opto, optometric, I don't know how you would say that. It's not that you have 20-20 vision or 15-20 vision. What Jesus is saying, this is a Hebrew phrase, ayin tovah. Everybody say, ayin tovah. 
good eye, eye good, ayin tova. What Jesus, this ayin tova, this good eye, it represented a generous approach to life. Someone who is a generous person with their time, with their finances, with their resources, was said to have an ayin tova or a good eye. What Jesus is saying here is this, check this, because this is huge. Jesus says, if you live life with a generous approach, all of your life will be full of light. He breaks down life into a very key, and I would argue in our cultural framework, counter-cultural single point of entry. If you wanna flourish and thrive, light is symbolic of truth, of grace, of all of the good. You see that as a spiritual parallel, light and darkness. He said, if you walk in generosity with an ayin tova, a good eye, your body will be full of light. But if you do not, your whole life gets cloudy. Some of us have been stumbling around in the darkness. You're like, I, I don't know what's happening. I'm the worship mission community thing. Like, I'm, I love God. God, I love, I read the Bible. I'm trying to get into Microsoft and it just feels like I can't figure out left from right. Jesus would say, well, have you checked your eye? Because greed is the MO of our culture and it clouds our vision. He says, if your eye is generous, your whole body, your whole life will be full of light. By the way, if you're like, ah, well, we don't know exactly, we, we become theological experts in America whenever Jesus talks about money. We're like, well, actually, what he could have been talking about in the ancient Hebrew, you could, I'm like, tell me about the ancient Hebrew, please. We become theological ninjas just to remove any possible ambiguity of what Jesus is really saying. He ends in verse 24 saying, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both, what does it say? Not possible. You're gonna pick one. And if you don't know which one you've picked, it's probably the one everyone else has picked, money. Why is Jesus saying this? Because he loves us. Why is Jesus saying this? He's not broke. He owns everything. He's good, doesn't need a loan from earth. He's got plenty in heaven. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Like he's fine financially. Why is he saying this? Not because he needs our stuff, but because he loves us and wants us to flourish and thrive. He wants our hearts and where our treasure is. Ah, there our heart is also. You see the correlation. Money, like we talked about with sex and sexuality last week, is a great gift, but it is a horrible God. It's an idol. And when we look to it for our ultimate satisfaction, it leaves us disappointed. It is no wonder why so many of our friends, neighbors, coworkers, family members, maybe ourselves in the room, go after stuff and only to be disappointed and anxious and stressed and all of these words that the surveys say, because while money is a great gift, a tool to be used by God, it is a horrible horrible God and end unto itself and it always leaves us disappointed. The great news is we can live different. We can live different. We can thrive as a result. Back into the passage in verse eight, Paul writes to these Corinthians who have stepped out in this way and made this big promise in regard to generosity. Verse eight, it says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need. Do you see what Paul's doing here? He's trying to make a big case for God's ability to provide for his people. You will abound in every good work as it is written. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. He who seed, supplies seed to the sower, bread for food will also supply and increase your store and seed and enlarge the harvest. You will be enriched in, here it is again, every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Paul paints this beautiful picture 
this sort of flow of generosity, moving to these Corinthian believers, moving to these followers of Jesus, and then through these followers of Jesus to other people in need, to people in need, to followers of Jesus in other places, in other countries, in other contexts, in other continents. And he paints this picture where they are always refreshing others, and as a result, they are always being refreshed. It is an ongoing cycle of blessing where God blesses you to turn around and be a source of hope and encouragement, joy and blessing to somebody else. By the way, this is not just theory. I have seen it lived out by some of my faith heroes. I remember being at college at the University of Florida. I don't wanna talk about college football right now. It's too painful. And I remember being in school and, and there was this guy a couple years older than me and he was starting his real estate practice. His real estate, you know, whatever, license and he was starting to be a realtor. And he started doing well. And so he's like, all right, God. Like, and he, he, he had a heart for missions. He had a heart for the poor. And he's like, God, if you bless and prosper me in my career, I want to turn around and give it back. Now, lots of people make those promises and then they start getting money. And they're like, whoa, 10% seemed like a lot easier when it was that and now, now when it's this. But he was like, God, I'm going to do it. And he really started doing it. And so his business continued to grow. He ultimately opened up his own real estate office and he had agents under him and he was doing all that. And he continued to grow and do well. And, and finally, I remember one day he came to me and he said, John, I feel like God gave me like a, a number, an income number that's supposed to be my max income for my life. And I was like, dang, dude. Like where, he's like, oh, it's, it's like impossible. Like I'll never make this amount of money as a realtor. Like it's, I, was, I was like, okay, God. And he said, I, just, I was just like, yeah, right, God. If I'm ever making that kind of money, you can have all the rest. Several years later, he hit the number. And guess what he did? He started giving the rest away. To this day, guess what he does? Gives the rest away. And he is one of the happiest, most joyful, flourishing guys, family likes him and loves him that I have ever met. I'm like, I am taking note of that very uncommon approach to finances and generosity. There's another guy in the church. He's a veterinarian. And I remember... Uh, he, him and his wife, you know, our, our church, by the way, we planted out of a church in Gainesville. I was there as a college student. This is where a lot of my beginning stories of generosity began to unfold. And he was a, he was a veterinarian. He ended up getting a, a job working as a professor in veterinary medicine. And, and he was great at what he did. He was great with people. He was his disciple. He loved Jesus. And so we start, you start hearing these kinds of stories and him and his wife were like, man, 10% is kind of the no brainer tithe. We're going to do that. But like, we want to shoot next year. We want to give 20% of our income away. It's like missions and the and church planning and he was like a happy guy and then he gave 20% away and he was like a really happy guy and he was like you know we want to give 30% away and he gave 30% away him and his wife they were like yeah let's do it and then they were like really really happy people and it kind of messed with me because I'm in school trying to like get a degree and like, you know, you're thinking about all of the things and you're gonna get a degree and then make money and then do this. And the more this guy and his wife gave away, the happier and happier and happier they became. It's almost like it was better to give than... Oh, wait a second. Growing up with my parents, they were both in full-time ministry and, and they were just always giving. I mean, it was one of the coolest moments of my life my father passed, that was not cool, that was tragic and heartbreaking, but after he passed, I had to jump in there on the behind the scenes and go through the financial picture and all those things, and often you hear heartbreaking stories of people, but especially people in ministry that were much greater on the outside from the stage and the platform than they were on the inside in private. I start digging back at my dad's stuff, like his financial records, I'm like, this joker gave more money away than we realized, like, 
He was just, I mean, the guy lived, if you got to know my dad, to know him was to love him. He was a man of faith. He was an incredible man, kind. He lived light and free and full of peace. It inspired Nancy and I so much that we're like, man, we, we wanna live like this. Like we, we wanna, as a family, we, if we get some sort of a raise that comes through, we're like, man, we've seen it enough times. People that we love and respect, they are living and walking, progressing in generosity, just like in any other facet of their life. And so we're like, okay, starting at that 10%, the tithe, kind of the training wheels of generosity, yeah, yeah, no brainer, but, but we wanna continue to move forward. And so each year, if we get some sort of a raise, we're looking at like, okay, are there any needed budget line items that we have to up? Okay, we had a kid, that's expensive, bless the Lord. Okay, we got to up, there's a new category. We had another kid, even more expensive. You know, but once that's done and the necessities are out of the way we're like okay let's let's not just up standard of living let's up standard of giving because we've watched people flourish and thrive and so we're like all right we want to be at 15 percent and now we're at 15 percent and we're like okay by the end of our lives we want to be doing as a family what our what we're doing as a church we're striving to give 50 percent away what would it be like to live like that not just as an organization church but as the people of god the capital c church talking to my micro church and we break out for tiny groups and we were just with the guys and, and I was thinking and telling some of these stories in preparation for one of these generosity talks as a community and, and I start talking, telling stories. I'm talking about missionary Sam, who by the way is crazy generous personally. And I start talking about some, and realized as I'm talking about some of my personal heroes of the faith, every single one of them walked in radical generosity. And I realized maybe that's not just a coincidence. Maybe that's by design. God's approach to finances, it looks broken to this world, but it actually helps make us whole. Point number three, here's my prayer, and we're gonna get to do this this morning. I am praying that we would join God on his generosity adventure. I'm praying that you and I, this very morning, but even to consider as an approach to life, that we would join God in his generosity adventure. John 3, 16, one of the most popular verses in all of human, humanity, human dumb, that's not a word. Humanity, John 3, 16, it says, for God so loved the world that he, God so loved the world that he, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You have that whole thing memorized? I'm a pastor. Track with me here. When God looks at a world in need, his response is immediate and singular. He gives. And we thrive when we operate in accordance with our design and you and I were designed in God's image, which means we also thrive when we walk like God in generosity. And he's inviting you to join him this morning. Here, here's the question on the table for us, husbands, wives, friends, roommates, microchurch people. What if you approached your finances like an adventure with God? What if we approached our finances like an adventure with God? We could take an entire sermon, by the way, just to unpack promises from God in scripture in relation to generosity. So many promises from God. I'll read you a few of them. In Proverbs 22, it says this, the generous will themselves be blessed for they share their food with the poor. Proverbs 28 says, those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them will receive many curses. Psalm 112, good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. 
Proverbs 11 carries the same recurring theme. One person gives freely yet gains even more. Once again, it's this idea of a river. It's a flowing river of generosity that as it flows out, more flows in. One person gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. Verse 25, a generous person will prosper and whoever refreshes others will themselves be refreshed. Again, church, the the message of scripture is overwhelmingly recurring. We thrive when we function according to our design and you are designed for generosity. You are made for generosity. By the way, I'm, I'm encouraged, and this is an, a much easier message to preach to our church family because I feel like this is a path we are genuinely on as a faith community and we are actively progressing in. Let me read to you from our, our vision, our, our, our mission, who we're trying to be as a church. Here's an excerpt from our vision statement. We see churches of passion, people who stand so amazed at God's grace that they can't help but live lives of adventure and generosity. We see God leading us to spend ourselves for those who could never pay us back, strong with children, students, missions, and the poor. We have been sent. For our missions and generosity fluency, we are a movement of generosity. In a culture held captive by greed, we renounce the idolatry of materialism and embrace the call to give of ourselves and our possessions. Look how Paul wraps up this passage in 2 Corinthians Chapter nine, verse 12, he says, this service that you perform, remember the service they're performing is responding with the offering that they had promised in faith a while before. He says, this service that you perform, this act of generosity, it is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanksgiving to God. In fact, because of this service, this act of generosity by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Lots of conversation about purpose. I don't just wanna exist, I I wanna make a difference. I don't just wanna be around and and live, I wanna leave an impact, I wanna have a legacy, I wanna live a life that matters. Anyone like, yes, I would like to do that. That sounds like a good plan to me. What's my purpose? What's my calling? What's my destiny? I'm not just here on this planet, there is a designer who has a design for my life and Paul is reminding them, listen, we exist. Part of our call as humanity is that we would know God and help make him known. That's what, like to, to have a deep genuine, real, intimate connection, relationship with God, and then to help other people experience that same reality. And Paul is writing, he's saying, listen, I don't want you to miss this. He's connecting the dots for them. He says, your generosity is not just something that you are doing between you and God, but because of your generosity, it is prompting worship in others. When you are generous, friends, you get to become a worship leader to get people's eyes on Jesus. You're like, I can't sing, great news, you don't have to. You can be generous instead. And we have a chance to do exactly that today with four amazing mission partners. On your way in, you should have gotten one of these cards. I wanna unpack briefly these various partners and then we're gonna close our time together in worship, giving and singing. Every year we do this generosity adventure. Every year there's end of the year giving things and one of the things we love to do is say, hey, listen, let's join together as a church and let's give money away. 
First organization on the card is Favor International. I mentioned this, I think, last week. They're an organization that I got to spend time with on the ground in East Africa, in Uganda. Specifically, they were uh, started right around the time that the Lord's Resistance Army or the LRA was getting done in Uganda. All sorts of horrible, heartbreaking atrocities and war crimes. Uh, parents had been slaughtered in front of their kids. Their kids were kidnapped and forced to be child soldiers. The, the girls were often sold into trafficking and sexual slavery. And so this group of African followers of Jesus and pastors said, we've got to do something. And they began to share the gospel as hope for a, a nation in a region that was heartbroken and in need. As a result, people start coming to faith. They began coming to the Lord. They watched all of these child soldiers get radically saved and they realized we can't just make converts, we need to make disciples. And they started these portable Bible training schools and each step along the way, they kind of continue to layer and they're like, well, now we've got thousands of homeless youth that have been trafficked and their parents were killed. And so we gotta, we gotta have a discipleship school and we gotta teach life skills and, and job skills training and all of these things. And they've watched as, as other nations in Africa and East Africa in particular experience war-torn situations. And so when the UN was like, it's too dangerous, we can't go. Favor International says, well, that's where we'll go because to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so they go in and they share the gospel in places no one else wants to go. And they watch people come to faith and they disciple them in these portable Bible training schools and they have an opportunity now to purchase a property to be used as a launching pad all throughout Uganda and Kenya and the Sudan and all of the places that they work. They're doing amazing work. We have the Harvest Drive on that card. This week, the Harvest Drive actually, I think, was started here at Western, but it works all throughout Broward schools now. And they deal with food insecurity for families that are in need or in crisis here in South Florida, specifically around the holiday break time. Some of you might know this, some of you might not. A lot of schools have free or reduced lunch for families and children that are below an income bracket. And so for a lot of the families in our community, the food that they receive from school lunches is the main food or the only food sometimes that they receive, which makes the holiday break not a time of celebration, but often a time of terror. What's gonna happen? And so the Harvest Drive steps into that gap and they provide food for families that'll last throughout those holiday breaks and, and to provide a happy and memorable time. And this week, church, we were able, we had a bunch of people from our microchurch, different places in our church that came and, and they had massive flooding here at Western. It was crazy. It was like Rainmageddon part two and this whole floor here was underwater and the school was closed for, I mean, it was nuts. But our microchurch had said we would go. And so I had Angel pick me up. My car couldn't even make it. I mean, it was crazy. And we show up and, and the ladies, the majority of the ladies who run the Harvest Drive are, are like myself. They're from Jewish backgrounds, but they're not followers of Jesus. And we've had all sorts of fascinating conversations about, wait, so like you're a pastor, but you're Jewish. But Jesus, like, I, I'm like, yeah. And so, and so we showed up because we said we would. And, and we had, you know, a check in hand and, I'm talking to her and she gives me a hug and she said, and she starts tearing up and she's like, you know, we normally have all these students that are able to help, but because of the flood, the students went home and we're like, we don't know what we're gonna do. She said, I don't know what we would have done without the volunteers that you came and the people from the church. And this is what she said. She said, every time we're in this like crisis of what are we gonna do, the church shows up. I'm like, that'll preach. That'll preach. Such a beautiful work they're doing. We wanna continue to come alongside as the hands and feet in the name of Jesus to support what he's doing in our community. Missionary Sam and Life for the Innocent. Many of you heard from Missionary Sam several weeks ago. He and his team step into 
the darkness, rescue kids out of human trafficking all throughout East Asia, but they don't just stop with rescue. They get them rehabilitated and provide medical care and trauma-informed counseling and care, but they don't just stop there. They get kids in children's homes. They get them restored and rehabilitated, but then they have thoroughly vetted families, many of whom have been praying for a family, a child, but they're unable to have biological children. And so God in his sovereignty and providence provides these thoroughly vetted families longing for a child and these children who desperately need a family. And they get adopted into these forever families, ongoing support and counseling for these families so that they can help the child thrive. Many of these kids rescued through Missionary Sam and Life for the Innocent through the grace of God in the name of Jesus, by the way, all throughout East Asia have now gone around. They're doctors, they're teachers, they're lawyers, and many of them are helping to run the organization. They said, listen, you came for us, so we're gonna go for them. Oh my goodness, amazing. And lastly, Broward Outreach. Broward Outreach works right here in South Florida. They've been operating since the 1920s doing gold standard poverty alleviation work. They're holistic. They do it in the name of Jesus. They approach the root issues with the gospel, with life skills training, with job skills training. They have connections with small business owners and business leaders in the community. They work with individuals and families for not just a handout, but a hand up to see holistic restoration. And as their need increases over the holidays, they reached out and said, is there any way you can help us? We have more needs than we can accomplish and meet on our own. And we said, heaven, yes. Four incredible organizations. We, one, it feels like a previous life. I work for a charity foundation. We thoroughly vet all of these partners. These are not just good stories and, and we hope that they're doing good work. We have a metric system that we're looking at. We have reports on these organizations. They are longstanding, good reputation, reputable in the community internationally, doing amazing work for the kingdom. And we have an opportunity like the church in Corinth to be a source of blessing and generosity so that as a result of our generosity, it's not just greenhouse, it's not just Corinthian believers that can prompt worship. It can be greenhouseian believers as well. And I'm praying we would. So here's what I want us to do. I want you to take a moment. You can bow your head and close your eyes. If that helps you, just a moment of quiet and quiet and privacy is between you and the Lord. And I just want you to ask God what he wants you to do. The ushers can come forward. We're not gonna pass out the buckets just yet, but I want you to take a moment and I just want you to ask God, God, what do you want me to do? Remember, God loves a chill forgiver. Paul's encouragement is that they would give freely not out of a place of compulsion, not feeling forced. Listen, if you're here and you're like, I I don't even know you guys, you don't have to give a single dime. You're welcome to, you feel no pressure at all. I I don't know each one of your individual financial situations. I have no idea what you can give. Some of you might be able to give far more than I could guess. Some of you far less, I don't know, God does. And I'm praying that you would just take a moment. And I'm asking that you would just ask God, Lord, what do you want me to do? 100% of this offering is going out. We will not keep a cent. There's no overhead here. We are giving away the offering this morning for the sake of the gospel flourishing here in South Florida and all throughout the world. And I just want you to take a moment. Lord, I'm asking that right now, you would speak to our hearts. God, I dream, I'm so grateful for this church family where we already walk in generosity. Lord, take us deeper in that. Just like every other area of spiritual growth, we wanna grow in our generosity. Lord, would you speak to every single follower of Jesus in this room, online, in Guyana, and place a number in our hearts that you would like us to give. 
And then, Lord, would you give us the courage to step out and say yes.